You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazing caribou studios. Yeah, there are so many different kinds of amazing life forms on the reef. You mean like these guys? Seahorses! Seahorses? I thought you were riding regular horses. Well, uh, our plans kind of changed. We're checking out seahorses now. You know, I've always wondered about seahorses. Yeah, me too. With a head like a horse. And it's got a prehensile tail like a monkey. What, what are, are they? they? Okay, I'll tell ya. But you better sit down for this. What are they? Seahorses are... Fish! What? <laughs> they fell over anyway. Maybe we should have told him to sit on the floor. Yeah, next time. Hello, and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet one animal at a time. My name is Paul. I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. This week, we are talking about the seahorse. Yes, they're so weird and wonderful. They are very strange, that's for sure. (laughs) But first, the news. This is Varman's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. Well, we do not have any seahorse news this week, but there was a news story that I found that I could not pass up. And it is an 11-year-old news story, but it is so great that I need to tell it anyway. It is about a young man in Norway who survived a moose attack by using skills he learned on World of Warcraft. That's right. Yep. Hans Jorgen Olsen, a 12-year-old Norwegian boy, he's now 23 years old, survived a moose attack by feigning death, just like you learn at level 30 in World World of Warcraft. Ah, he was a hunter. Yes, in WoW, feign death is a skill acquired by hunters at level 30 that allows them to take a page from the Opossum playbook, collapse to the ground, and convince their enemies that they have died. According to the Norwegian site Netivisen, Hans and his sister apparently upset one of the local moosen during a walk in the forest near their home. Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah, <laughs> trying, to, tr- trying to give it some traction here, trying mm-hmm. to get it going. After shouting at the moose to ward it away from his sister, Olsen dropped to the ground and presumably his little life bar plummeted to zero. And moose, that being all that smart, uh, and the boy's show of necrosis seemed to have worked and he and his sister both survived very well. And the article says that it's easy to... It's easy to decry video games as a menace to society, but in a world where MMOs save adorable, toe-headed Norwegian children from a deadly moose, can they really be that bad? (laughs) (laughs) I think not. Uh, The answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, by the way, Fane Death is now available at level 28. Do not have to wait till level 30 to Fane Death. All right. Do you use hunters in WoW? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have right. a level 100 um, 
uh, hunter who specializes in shooting things very quickly. <laughs> do you ever feign death, and is it because I there's a moose? I do feign death, and I do it often. <laughs> Mostly because I want to get out of an area where there are too many things. <laughs> <laughs> that is so great. Keep playing WoW, kids. Yeah, do it. It may save your life one day. Also, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just a reminder, everybody, go to blazingcariboustudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at at varmintspodcast, all one word, and at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. We have a Pinterest board that relates to every single animal that we talk about on our show. The link is going to be at the bottom of the show notes, so go ahead and take a look at that and see all sorts of fun arts and pictures of the cool animal we're talking about. You can also get Varmint's merchandise over at tpublic.com, so just go over there and put Varmint's into the search bar or Google Varmint's Public, and you will find all the things. Yes. So that's it. Do it. If you like our show, tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast. We're everywhere podcasts are found, and word of mouth, as always, is the best way to make us grow. So do it. Bring somebody else into the Krita crew. Do it. Yeah. Please. We'd love it. Mm -hmm. All right. You ready to learn about some seahorses? Let's learn about some seahorses. Hey, let's go get educated on some animals. I know you wanna. I do wanna. (laughs) (laughs) We are learning about seahorses today. Seahorse is the name given to 54 species of small marine fishes. I hope you were sitting down for that. Yes, seahorses are fishes. They are mainly found in shallow shallow tropical and temperate waters throughout the world. Seahorses range in size from one and a half to 35 and a half centimeters. That's about a half an inch to over 14 inches long. They are named for their equine appearance with bent necks and long snouted heads, followed by their distinctive little trunk and tail. They're very unusual among fish. Among fish, A seahorse has a flexible, well-defined neck. It also has a little crown-like spine or a horn on its head termed a coronet, which is distinct for each species. Seahorses haven't really been around all that long relative to other animals, only about three million years or so. Oh gosh, that's hardly any time at all. (laughs) In 2016, a study published in Nature found the seahorse genome to be the most rapidly evolving fish genome studied so far. Huh. Yeah. A lot of really little changes quickly, huh? That's it. Yep. Seahorses are in the genus Hippocampus. Hippocampus comes from the ancient Greek word hippos, meaning horse, horse, and campos, meaning sea monster. Interestingly enough, there is a region in the human brain that is called the hippocampus that is vaguely seahorse-shaped. Oh, that's why they did it. Yeah. I did not know that, and I taked anatomy classes. Because <laughs> when you take an arts degree of any kind, you have to take an anatomy class. Oh, you do? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Most yep. of it's what you want to pay to attention to is the rest of the body anatomy, but they, always, they also go into the body systems and stuff, too. So, 
Yep. That's cool. So if you Google a picture of a hippocampus, it's going to be gross, so be warned about that. But you will see that it is. it looks a little like a seahorse. You can see where they would make the comparison. Yeah, cool. I'm going to do that. Male and female seahorses don't really have particular names, but baby seahorses are called fry, and a group of seahorses is a herd. Because they're fish and they look like horses. Yep. This is all making sense. This is probably (laughs) going to be the only part that does for the rest of the show. (laughs) Do I need to play the klaxon? Yes, you do. Okay. Uh, We're going to play the klaxon twice today. Yeah, here's the first time. Just because it's about baby making, so. Making babies. So here's the klaxon. If you have not uh, had the talk with your kids yet and you don't want us to, you know, spoil anything for you, uh, here. Okay, that was your warning. You've been warned. You've been warned. Making babies. (laughs) How do you get? Little tiny seahorses. Well, I'll tell you. The process of seahorse reproduction is kind of weird. So males and females are very romantic. They will court for several days, and they dance with each other in the moonlight. That's very cute. (laughs) Aww. They will be seen swimming side by side at the same pace. They like to be able to mirror each other's movements and be in sync with each other. Oh, they dance with one another. Yes, it's very adorable. How nice. They often look very much alike. They they don't have a lot of what's called sexual dimorphism where one side is one gender is uh, uh, much bigger or smaller than the other. They're about the same size. And people can tell them apart prior to mating by the way they look in their abdominal area. The females have a rough and pointed area here and the males have a round area that's very smooth and you can see the pouch because that is where the eggs are going to go because the male the daddy is the one who carries the eggs. Right. I think they're the only member of the animal kingdom that that does this. Is what I read. Yeah, I think I think so. So the male has a pouch on one side of his body. When it's time to mate, the female deposits as many as 1500 eggs into that pouch. That's 1500 eggs. Wow. So the the pouch isn't very big, but the eggs are very tiny. The larger the species, um, the larger the eggs are going to be, right? So so the, the male carries the eggs up to 45 days, and then the young emerge fully developed, and it's adorable. You should definitely, definitely see this because they just start popping out. Itty-bitty seahorses, they're like, wee! They yeah. <laughs> fully formed, tiny little seahorses. <laughs> yeah, they're really cute, and the dad does like these little ab crunch things. Yeah. Yeah. He just goes, and all the little babies just go farting they go out everywhere. Flying out. Oh, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's really cute. It's two parts like super amusing, one part kind of weird, and another <laughs> part really adorable. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's really fun. But during the period of time when the eggs are inside of him, the female comes to check on him every day. And uh, she really takes care of him. So they basically switch roles. The young are usually going to be born at night, but in some time, sometimes they will be born during the day. The males become super aggressive when they're carrying the eggs, and so that helps them assure that the babies will actually be born and survive. So, 
after they're released into the water, the male leaves them alone. It's possible that the female will deposit more eggs into the sack next day if they mate in the season uh, kind of early the first time. So he could, like, do it twice a season. He could oh, have wow. a, a lot of babies twice in a mating season. The next so. day? I'm going to put a picture of a pregnant sea stallion on the page from, and I'll link the article that I was looking at when I was reading about this. But the, it's pretty interesting. Did you say the next day? Yeah. Oh, give him a break. Yeah, like, give him well, a day. You know. Oh, you're empty. Here's another batch for you. Yeah, well, <laughs> see how you like it. You know? Good job, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, well, the closer they get to the being born, the males actually puff up really large. Uh-huh. And scientists believe that this is a way to help deter predators from him. So it, it can sort of confuse predators and they'll go, eh, that looks dangerous. <laughs> Little seahorses cool. have to care for themselves when they're born. They're on their own. They're so, on their own. <laughs> this yep. is why they have a hugely high mortality rate, and this is a little sad. Less than 1% of them live long enough to become mature enough to mate themselves. Yeah, that makes sense because they're really, really tiny. And fish are not very discriminatory when things are that small. They just go, nah. oh, that looks like food. Oh, that looks like food. Yep. yep. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's a yeah. bottle cap. Eat it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yep. That's why we have to be careful about not putting trash in the ocean because right. you just eat it. Um. So... Those that do live to the age of maturity usually have an average lifespan from four to six years. In many areas, there are farms that specifically work toward increasing the population. And they take the young and ensure that they are protected for their early stages, and then they return them to the wild as they mature. But this is not a a fix. This is not a fix for the problem. We still have to solve the pollution and other problems that are that are giving them headaches. Right. So, But uh, you may hear it said that a seahorse will mate for life. However, many species are only going to keep a mate for a season. So they're well known for switching mates all the time. They're often known to be in groups and to swap mates within the group. So seahorses are swingers. So <laughs> uh, The dynamics can vary based on the very specific species of seahorse. So you just... If you want to know about the one that lives in your area, if you are by the sea, you should look up the specific one that lives near you and see how they how they do. So how they you do. You have so- seahorses in Florida. I know you do. We do have seahorses in Florida. They're really cool. We don't they're see them li- very often. No, they're little and yeah. they are sort of brownie, brownie yep. yellow. So yep. they they blend into the sand pretty easily. Yeah, every now and then you'll see one that's washed up on the shore, but it's very very rare. Yep. 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 They are pretty neat, and they're pretty little, they're the ones out there. They're like maybe the size of your pinky. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, they're small. Yeah. We have no seahorses in Colorado, except <laughs> maybe at the aquarium. <laughs> they are not a freshwater animal, as far as I can tell. Nope, they are not. What struck me when I was doing research about seahorses are how much they are like chameleons. Oh, do tell. Well... They can swim okay in very, very calm water. They can even be a little bit graceful sometimes, but they're just not that fast or agile, kind of like a chameleon. Mm-hmm. 
they are fish, so they use gills for breathing. They have a swim bladder that lets the seahorse control its buoyancy. And most of them have like three fins, two pectoral fins and one dorsal fin. And the pectoral fins are used for balance and they kind of flap back and forth about 35 times per second. And then they have, oh, and that fin is also used for stabilization to move up and down. Okay. And the dorsal fin allows the seahorse to move back and forth. That's that big fin that's on the back. Right. So they can move. They're just not that great at it. They can't swim very fast to get away from predators or catch pl- prey. And a lot of that is because of the shape of their bodies, too. So what they prefer to do is hide in the coral and the seagrass until their meal comes swimming by or until the predator leaves. And their meals are very tiny, too. So Very, very tiny. Little brain shrimp and, and little tiny, tiny fish like that. Yeah. Seahorses are the only fish that has adapted a prehensile tail like a chameleon. So they can use that to grasp the coral and the seaweed, and they'll just kind of hang out there. It's a lot easier than swimming. It uses a lot less energy. Yes. M- most seahorses have adapted very cool-looking camouflage to avoid detection, kind of like chameleons. Huh. And like chameleons, this I had no idea. A seahorse's eyes work independently from one another, just like a chameleon. They have full 360 degree vision. They can see in front of them and behind them at the same time. That is awesome. So they can see the thing that's coming to eat them. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Or the thing that they want to eat. Yeah. Yeah. So like chameleons, they kind of ambush their prey. Now, chameleons Mm -hmm. do this by shooting their tongue out and grabbing the insects with with that tongue. Right. Seahorses actually use their entire body to do this. So that oddly shaped body that doesn't allow them to swim very quickly. You were asking about it before we were recording. Like, how did they evolve that way? Why? Yeah. They're super hydrodynamic. So as they're swimming, yeah, as they're swimming... They're not pushing a whole lot of water around. And fishes rely on the movement of water to tell them whether or not a predator is near. This is particularly true of the business end of the seahorse. That mouth and the snout are pointed. And they can move it very, very close to what they are eating without disturbing the surrounding water and without even being detected by the fish. (gasps) They're stealth fish. They're stealth fish. Same reason that uh, boats and ships are pointed at the bow. If you had a boat with a flat you know, uh, front end on it, it would just splash and move all kinds of water around and it would be it would be terrible. But that pointed bow allows you to kind of move through the water a little bit better. And that's the same thing with the seahorse. Wow. Yeah. That's really neat. I didn't know that. Yep. I think I need to find a video of them eating food because I bet they go, kapow. They do. It, they just suck it right in. They just slurp it right up. Yum. It's really cool. Fortunately, seahorses do not have many predators aside from humans. Uh, At times, crabs and stingrays will eat them, but underwater, they're pretty safe. They they just find a little spot in the coral or in the seaweed. They anchor themselves, and unless they have to mate or or swim away for some reason, that's where they stay. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. They're weird little creatures. I love they them. They are. They're one of the weirder ones that we've looked at, and they're <laughs> way weirder than I kind of thought they would be, you know? Yep. Oh, nature. Oh, nature. What have you been drinking? you so crazy. <laughs> Disclaimer time. The Vomits Podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then, Donna and Paul 
only have the yardstick of themselves, so they're going to do it anyway. I could not find a whole lot on the intelligence of sea, of, of seahorses. I mean, they're, they're just, they're fish, right? Yeah. Yeah. I found a forum where people were talking about keeping seahorses in tanks, which is uh, apparently very difficult to do. Right. But some people do keep seahorses, and they say that they are social and gregarious, and they come out of their hiding spot to say hello when the owner is nearby. And hmm. maybe that's because they're just trained to, you know, to know that when the owner comes, that means food is going to be coming, maybe. I've said this on our goldfish episode, and I'll say it again, and that is that when you're keeping fish, you need to realize that the relationship is defined by you are the food giver and they are the food receiver, but that does not make the relationship less significant. It, right. it just is different, and it's a, it's a, you're showing them that you care for them because you are taking care of them and giving them food, so of course they're going to come out. And, you know, if their only emotion is, yay, the bringer of food is here. I mean, that's good enough, right? Yeah. (laughs) No, that's fine. I just don't know if that little kind of Pavlovian response equates to intelligence. Right, right. I don't think it does. It certainly, uh, I mean, it can be, I think it could be interpreted as a form of intelligence is mostly what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, it's A... It's hard to even talk about intelligence because it's such a squishy idea. Uh, what the heck do we mean? But, you know, if they can be trained to come out and do stuff, then, you know, that's another sign. It's not a sign of the, that they can problem solve and stuff. And I've said before that training isn't the whole picture. But, you know, still, it shows some plasticity that that uh, that is in the brain. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I would never have thought that, that, that they would be gregarious. So, so maybe on a scale of 1 to 10, like a two or a three yeah somewhere in there yeah sure okay <laughs> cool i don't know why not <laughs> i have to give goldfish higher than that i think i gave them around a five or a six because they actually are quite smart for little fish right so. right but these guys are like but i find the gregariousness adds a couple of points to them i was willing to put them down at a one but i the finding out that they were that they're actually social that to me adds a couple of points. So cool. Just my opinion, man. <laughs> well, we are going to talk about seahorses and pop culture. There's not too many, and a couple mm-hmm. other things, but we'll do that right after this. Yes. thing is gonna win well i know my thing can beat your thing are you serious a toaster can beat a dragon toasters can get really hot dragons breathe fire to see how this and other battles end find my thing can beat your thing on itunes and google play and send your thing sightings to at thing beats thing on twitter for mtcbyt news i'm a news person Hey there everyone, Paul and Donna are a couple of nerds just like you, and they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk about where we all see them most of the time, 
on movies, TV, comic books, toys and video games. And I am going to talk about the Krat Brothers today. So once in a while, we'll get a comment or a question asking us if we've ever heard of Krat's creatures. So, really? Yes. I've never heard of that. Yep. Sometimes we get compared to the Krat Brothers, which is a massive compliment. Oh. So I wanted to talk a little bit about them today. Cool. So the Krat Brothers company is the creative force behind uh, shows like Krat's Creatures, which ran for one season, and then it got retooled, and then it turned into the Emmy-winning preschool series Zubumafu. Hmm. There was a live-action adventure series called Be the Creature on Nat Geo, and currently there is an animated series called Wild Kratz. Hmm. The Krat brothers are Chris and Martin. Their parents were not veterinarians or wildlife biologists. Their house was not next to a zoo or a game farm. They became interested in animals in the woods and in the fields near their home in New Jersey and on camping trips to Vermont. And later on, that love of animals influenced their collegiate choices. So Chris has a biology degree from Carleton College, and Martin has a zoology degree from Duke University. They don't call themselves animal experts. When they people ask them what their line of work is, they tell people that they are creature adventurers, which I quite like. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And it's good. It's a good sign of a decent scientist when they are saying, I am not an expert, because there isn't anybody that's an expert. <laughs> exactly. Right. So Zubumafu was on PBS, and it was geared toward younger children. And in it, the brothers are super animated, super entertaining. If you get a chance to go on YouTube and watch clips of them, it's so much fun. They're constantly running and jumping goofing around with one another, getting wet, getting muddy, and just having a great time while also educating kids about animals. And it's really fun to watch. Cool. Be the Creature was on National Geographic Wild. That was oriented towards a more teenage or adult audience. The brothers placed themselves in the thick of the animal world, sometimes in very high intensity or dangerous situations. And the series also features some graphic footage in an effort to portray wildlife uh, honestly and truthfully. Right. because. Animals good. eat each other. Very good show. Yeah, for sure. These shows have been gone for a while, and Wild Kratz is their current show now, and it's my personal favorite. Oh, cool. It is on PBS. It's an animated show that is geared toward kids. The basic plot of an episode is usually to save the animals or a particular animal from a situation, be it villains or general human influence or confusion on a baby animal's part. Most episodes focus on the villains, but those that don't usually focus on some real-world problem. Either directly, there was an uh, episode about sharks where a villain captured a shark for making shark fin soup. So there was Aww. a big lesson about that in that in that episode. And it ended well, of course. It's not going to end Good. terribly. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> or sometimes through an allegory. So there was a show called Build It Beaver, an episode called Build It Beaver, and the beaver's dam was kept getting destroyed through various means. And so that was kind of an allegory for deforestation. Oh, wow. It was really good. Additionally, you'll like this. Some episodes aim to change the way a creature is seen. So creatures that are usually considered frightening or gross, like bats and crocodiles, they present that animal in a way that it can be appreciated and loved and, you know, not scary anymore. Which we try to right. do here once in a while on this podcast. And it's a lot of fun. We do. We do talk about how it's important to love the scaly and not cutes as well. Exactly. So you heard a clip from Wild Kratz at the top of the show. 
if you are a parent, do check these shows out, particularly Zubumafu. If you have little or kids, it's a great show that is still readily a bit available on DVD. And Wild Kratz is still on your local PBS station. It's a lot of fun to watch with your kids. Absolutely delightful. Couldn't recommend it enough. Excellent. Yeah. Well, and I should probably clarify, these guys are more expert than we are, for sure. Oh, like anybody definitely. With that kind of they have degrees. I'm just saying that if you're humble enough to go, nothing's 100%, then that's the guy you want to talk to. Yep. You know? Absolutely. Because they are about learning new things, which is why why we are, you know, happy to be non-experts, because we're always learning crazy <laughs> new stuff. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Excellent. All right, well, I'm afraid I'm very sad because we're going to have to play our klaxon again for our pop for my pop culture. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we're going from children friendly friendly to not so children friendly. This section is not going to be children friendly. It's again, not graphic, but it is a little bit uh uh adult. Racy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mature. Not graphic, not R-rated, but definitely you might get some questions. So Yeah, PG-13. Yeah, prepare yourself. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about Z. Frank. Z. Frank has a video, facts about the seahorse. True facts about the seahorse. He was gone for uh, quite a long time, two or three years, five years. How long was he gone? It's Yeah, several years. It's been a while, yeah. but he's finally making new videos. Yes, he is making some new videos. This isn't one of them. This is an older one. But it is really funny. And he seems to have a deep appreciation for the strangeness of these creatures. <laughs> right. We have a little clip. Here we will learn true facts about the seahorse. The seahorse is named so because it looks like it was made from the mold of a tiny horse. Except they ran out of clay before they got to the important parts like the parts that help you move. Mainly <laughs> propelled by a small fin on its back, the seahorse is not the strongest of swimmers. More of an aggressive floating behavior. <laughs> Imagine trying to propel yourself on a skateboard solely by waving a Denny's menu back and forth really fast. That is how a seahorse do. That's how seahorses do. They, that's how they do. Oh my gosh, so funny. I love that. <laughs> Can't play the rest uh, of it for you. What did you say? Aggressive floating? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot play the rest of that clip for you. Not on this show. No. Uh, I will... <laughs> I'll, put a, I'll put a non-functional link to it in the show notes so that your kids don't accidentally play it because it's got some naughty words in there and stuff. Right. They are beeped, but I mean, they're, they're kids. So they're not <laughs> dumb. They can figure it out. So... You know, we'll just not, we won't make it easy for them, but uh, we'll we'll tell you guys where it is. And then you can go there and watch the whole video and laugh your adult butts off. <laughs> uh, so, hey, are you going to eat that? So I know that in different parts of the world, people are eating seahorses, but that literally looks like the least appetizing, least edible creature 
walking the planet. Well, what parts of it would you actually eat? I have I mean, no idea. I guess what, the whole thing. I, just, I guess you would just pop the whole thing in there and chew it I, up, huh? That's the only thing I can imagine, but, but they're like, they have spines and sharp things on them. I can't, I, I, no. I guess if you treated them a little bit like a sardine where all the bones get a little jettified, you know what I mean? I guess, but aren't they dried? Like dried seahorses? I don't either. Yeah, I don't know. So the the seahorses, the one picture I saw were like sticks with dried seahorses on the end of them. So like dried seahorse on a stick. Like carnival food except with seahorses. Okay. And it looked like the least appetizing thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, other people in the world. What am I going to do with you? I I don't know. I feel like that's so much work to get a seahorse to just stick it on the end of a stick (laughs) seems, you know, seahorse kebab maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass. Yeah. Yeah. I'll eat real fish. Yeah. Not that they're not real fish, but, you know, more substantial fish. How about that? Fish no, where I could actually tell that there's meat on them. I mean, them. they have to be really difficult to catch. Yeah, well, uh, I think they wind up being bycatch. Right. So when they're going out and they're netting for one fish, they're getting like seahorses in their nets, and they're then they're just like saying, "Well, here, eat this too." Okay, well, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. To me, so. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the food box, though. Not for me. I nah. understand. I'm not. I'm not criticizing other people in the world. I just, I just tilt my head and go, huh? Yeah. Same. It's a. It's a great thing that we are all very different in the world. It makes it an interesting place. Indeed. I will let other people enjoy their seahorses. I wouldn't mind hearing from somebody who has eaten a seahorse to see what the experience is like. Yeah. Yeah. If you have eaten seahorse and it was good, bad, whatever, let us know. Yeah. We'd love to hear about it. So, I don't think that I'd want to eat them, but I would like to know what the experience is like. Crunchy. (laughs) That's my my prediction. Yeah, likely. (laughs) Likely. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Silly question. Of course it is. Well, let's help you win that next (laughs) trivia night, shall we? Or perhaps we could just make you sound like the smartest person in the room. With this, the Animal Fact of the Week. (laughs) Nice. So, there is not a whole lot to seahorses. I mean, they're wonderful, weird little creatures, and we have pretty much exhausted all the information about them. So we are going to talk about seahorses in Myths and Legends. Yes, yes. So seahorses have been puzzling people around the world for centuries, inspiring them to tell stories, pass on, pass on myths and legends, and find mystical uses for these charming little sea creatures. Yes. So some of the oldest seahorse stories are about the Greek god Poseidon. <laughs> they tell about him galloping through the oceans on a golden chariot pulled by seahorses. That awesome. Right. He's a hippocampus, a beast that's half horse and half fish. So, but they look like seahorses. Right. And uh, they probably 
think that they think they were inspired because Greek fishermen found the seahorses in their nets as bycatch, same as you were talking about. Yep. And they thought that they were the babies of Poseidon's mighty steeds. <laughs> right. There's all sorts of ancient Mediterranean art and objects that have the hippocampus on them. The Phoenicians and Etruscans, they have uh, walls of their burial chambers decorated with hippocampus and uh, so that the little hippocampus could accompany the dead on their voyage across the seas and into the afterlife. And even in ancient Egypt, there is a single hippocampus painted on a mummy's coffin. Well, why not? You want your seahorse buddy in, in the afterworld with you, don't you? Absolutely, sure. Yeah, why not? So there's a lot of legends that tell stories about watery spirits that take on the form of horses. Scottish locks are said to be haunted by kelpies, and they come onto dry land and graze with other normal horses. But if you mountain ride one, you'll be dragged underwater. And as your steed tries to drown and eat you. Oh, dear. That's no good. Similar beasts called tangies in the Orkney Islands and shupel trees in the Shetlands. (laughs) Scandinavian legends also talk about the havhest, a huge sea serpent that's half horse and half fish, like the hippocampus that could breathe fire and sink ships. So in the first century, there was a Roman writer named Dioscorides, and he compiled a book of herbal herbal medicines that were widely used at the time. One of them was if you were bald, you could mix seahorses with goose fat. You could smear it on your scalp and you would restore a full head of hair. Well, how about that? Yeah. Pliny the Elder, he advocated for the therapeutic therapeutic use of seahorses. He listed seahorses as cures for leprosy, urinary incontinence, and fever. Well, who knew? Who knew? (laughs) There was another Roman writer named Alien. He claimed that seahorses could cure a bite from a rabid dog by counteracting the hydrophobia induced by rabies. You just eat a seahorse, and you'll spend the rest of your life drawn to the soothing sound of babbling rivers and streams. Hmm. But you had to be careful because he also wrote that a seahorse boiled in wine, that's a deadly poison. Don't drink that. (laughs) I think both of those things are probably false. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Roman writer alien with your funky name. (laughs) Why do you write down lies? (laughs) (laughs) So in other places in the world, other early cultures also have seahorses in their stuff. In Australia, Aboriginal peoples have rock art from as long as 6,000 years ago that depend uh, that depict a revered dreamtime ancestral spirit called the Rainbow Serpent. And their legend says that the Rainbow Serpent emerged from the earth long ago and walked around sculpting the landscape into mountains, rivers, and gorges. The depiction of the creator spirits varies from place to place and in time in Australia, but archaeologists have noted the similarity between some rainbow serpents and the close relative of seahorses called the ribboned pipefish, which if you guys have ever seen a pipefish, they do look quite similar. Yep. So, very interesting. We don't know that it's supposed to be a seahorse, but it, uh, it has a lot in common. Right. So we don't know a whole lot about the Picts of Scotland, but of among the few Pictish artifacts that survive today are carved stones made in the 7th century, including some depicting animals with a horse's head and a fish's tail. And those seem to be 
uh, versions of the Roman hippocampus. Right. Other stones show more lifelike creatures with no legs and a coiled tail. So the archaeologists think that those might have represented real seahorses, which might seem like a stretch of the imagination, but sometimes seahorses do occasionally wash up on the beaches of far northern Scotland. So it's not unheard of to have hmm. seahorses up there. So on the shores of the Gulf of California, an ancient Mexican tribe called the Seri tells the legend of how seahorses came to be. They say, long ago, when the world was new and all the animals talked and wore clothes, there was a seahorse who lived on Tiburon Island. And back then, it was a fat, well-fed guy that was also a little bit of a prankster. And so he committed some sort of wrongdoing, and the seahorse incurred the wrath of all the other animals. Man, it must have been big. Oh, man. <laughs> and they chased him and threw rocks, and he fled to the beach, and with nowhere else to run, he tucked his sandals into his belt and dived into the sea, never to return. And to this day, the ocean-bound seahorses are scrawny and thin after their ancestor was flayed by the other animals, and where his shoes once were is now a little fin. Boy, those <laughs> other animals, they were just Man. mean. They were mean. <laughs> oh, I wonder what he did. I don't know. Wow. Wow. So, beliefs in the magical and mystical powers of seahorses are just not a thing of the past. They do continue today. Fishing communities in Malaysia and the Philippines, they will hang dried seahorses around their homes as talismans to dispel evil spirits. In Indonesia and Mexico, in Indonesia and Mexico, seahorses are used to protect money and bring prosperity. Hmm. And on the Indian Ocean island of Zanzibar, fishermen sometimes burn seahorses and sprinkle the ashes over their fishing nets to bring good fortune and to lure in more fishes. Well, I don't do think that know? works. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah, I, yeah, just, you know. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> it's a magical, mystical thing. You never know, yep. right? You never know. You never know. <laughs> I think I know, That's though. really interesting, though. I wonder yeah. why the association with protecting you from evil spirits. Like, what about the seahorse in particular? I don't know. Hmm. It's, just the, it's just the thing. Yeah, but still, really interesting. <laughs> Whose idea was this? <laughs> <laughs> so today, seahorses are being harvested for traditional medicine, but conservation groups are working really hard to make seahorse fishing more sustainable, and campaigners are trying to persuade people to seek alternatives to these expensive and endangered ingredients, because some seahorses are in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we got to be careful, because there's a real possibility that seahorses could become so rare and hard to find that all we have left are magical stories and fairy tales, and we don't want that to happen to seahorses, or they're way too cool. Yeah. Get it together, humans. <laughs> Get your poop in a group. Get your poop in a group. All right. Well, that's it. That's all we're going to talk about with seahorses today. Seahorses are awesome. Just they are weird, awesome. fun little creatures. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. The Farmers Podcast has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo. Bed music, as always, by Kevin McLeod. Thank you, guys. Vocal talent by Carrie McGinnis, Chris Brayton, Josh Hallmark, Chris Green. And by you, the Patreon supporter, thank you so much for continuing to support us through Patreon by giving a dollar or so every month. We do appreciate it. And by you who have bought things from TeePublic, thank you for buying a t-shirt or a mug. We do appreciate that as well. Yeah. 
for sure. We appreciate it. Okay, it's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat, eight years of age or younger, that wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or send us an email at varmanspodcast at gmail.com for details. We make it very easy for you and your Rugrat to hear their voice on the podcast. So give us a little message and we will make it happen. Yes, and this week we have Nolan. Nolan has something to say about seahorses. Yay! Okay, tell me everything that you know about seahorses. Uh, they unturn off the lake when they go to bed. Oh yeah? What else? <laughs> then they um, have a sparring bed, then they go to sleep, yeah. then they um climb up trees, and they... Um, get one in their backyard and swim. <laughs> nice. Interesting. What do seahorses eat? Um, seahorses eat peepers, a bunch of crackers. Seahorse sounds a lot like you. What's what is uh what are some seahorse names? Uh, uh, I don't know. You never met a seahorse? Yeah. You did. And his name's Mike. <laughs> Mike. Mike the seahorse. <laughs> <laughs> His name's Squidward. Squidward. <laughs> and SpongeBob. Really? I don't think that those are seahorses. Um, I don't know them. Maybe their name is Gary the Cat. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever have a seahorse in a tank, it's going to be named Mike. Absolutely, even if it's a female. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> That was awesome. Thank you so much, Nolan. We appreciate it. Yes. And thank you to his mom, Michelle, for recording that for us. We really do appreciate it. That was adorable. (laughs) Thanks again, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Be nice to animals. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.